This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Our lesson this morning is going to come from the book of Ezekiel, reading from for our key text this morning, Ezekiel chapter 37. Looking at verses 1 through 6. Here the Bible says, A hand of the Lord came upon me. He brought me out from the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And, when he, and behold, they were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Cross out of these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, Surely I will cause bread to enter into you, and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring you, bring flesh upon you, cover your skin and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. We all have heard, I'm sure many times, various lessons from Ezekiel 37 about the dry bones, the valley of dry bones. And when I read through this, sometimes I think about how we often like a good comeback story or a good underdog story because we look in chapter 37 these dry bones were just that they weren't doing anything they were there in the open valley doing nothing one of my favorite movies of all time there's many of them but one of them that i really enjoyed the most is one entitled hoosiers from back in 1986 or so about a very small high school basketball team in Indiana who at one point had about eight players on their team. And they weren't expected to do really anything. If you remember that movie, you know they ended up going to the state championship and winning the whole big thing. But they were not expected to do that. You know, sometimes we hear things like that and they call it a Cinderella story in the sense that it was unexpected, it wasn't something that should have really took place, but that's exactly what happened. We look at Ezekiel 37, we think about this valley of dry bones, there really shouldn't be anything that should happen to them. Because dry bones, typically, you see them out in the wild, around the woods, you see a dead animal, you see the bones there, you don't expect anything to happen, you expect them to stay right where they are. But Ezekiel 37, as we're going to find here, this is a vision that, that Ezekiel has that God is showing him to uh, really bring out some things concerning the people of Israel. So let's begin by looking at Ezekiel's observation and his attitude as you look at the verses 1 and 2 here, and we'll add verse 3 in a moment. Looking at what he sees, we notice verse going back again to Ezekiel chapter 37. Looking at verses 1 and 2, he says, A hand of the Lord come upon me, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley. Now this is not a literal valley, it's just, this is a vision we're going to find later. It begins to tell him, tell him what these things represent. The Bible says in verse 1, it was full of bones. But one of the things that stands out to me, as we look at verse 1, or excuse me, verse 2 rather, is this is happening in an open valley. If it's an open valley, does that mean anyone can see? You know, we were saying this is a vision, but if it's an open valley, it would imply that everyone can see their state, right? It's done out openly. Think about this for a moment. If you are struggling spiritually, you may be able for a time to conceal those things, but will it eventually start to come to the surface? We think about how many times we go through very difficult things in our life, and sometimes we conceal them maybe only for a few days, maybe for a few months. 
But eventually, those things come to the surface. We understand, of course, that God always knows our own condition. He knows it before we do, oftentimes, if we even recognize it in our own lives, what's going on within us. But we think about here in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2. He says here in verse 1 that he sat down, he says, He set me down in the midst of the valley that was full of bones. That, that picture there is he's sitting down, and there's just this valley full of bones all around him. And then in verse 2, he tells him, He causes him now to pass by them all around. And behold, there are very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. Dry bones, at least in my mind, it seems to imply they were about to become very brittle. They haven't already. Dry bones don't last very long. They begin to become very, uh, very much breakable and fragile. We think about our own struggles in a spiritual sense. Do our struggles make us fragile? If we allow ourselves to overcome the things in our lives, it puts us in danger of having greater things come upon us. If we are not as faithful to God as we should be, does it make us more vulnerable to other things? If God is not first in our lives, what other things begin to become less important? In a spiritual way, everything. Sometimes, as we've talked about many times before, that when we start having spiritual difficulties for whatever reason, maybe we're just worried about things, we're not as faithful as we should be, that we start to struggle with things as simple as Bible reading or attendance or praying to God. And I really enjoyed that song, Did You Think to Pray? Because sometimes we don't. We don't think to pray. As we find in verses 1 and 2, this valley, is, this vision, this valley of dry bones is showing these individuals, as we'll talk about a little bit later, are in a very grave state. We find in verse 3 of Ezekiel chapter 37, he says here, let's look at the attitude of uh, Ezekiel. The question is asked, Bible says, He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. I think about that, those, that question, his response. Can these bones live? First of all, think about who is asking that question. It's God. Can God do anything? Is he capable of doing anything he desires? Absolutely. Genesis 1, verse chapter 1 and chapter 2 tells us that. If you create the whole world for six days, can you cause bones to live? Yeah. He did much more with nothing at all, didn't he? We find here in verse 3. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? So answer the Lord God, you know. We look at it as saying, Well, God, you think you anything is possible. Or you look at it by Ezekiel saying, God, that's up to you. God can cause those bones to live. But because we're talking about people, as we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, God does many things in our lives for us in the sense that He provides for us many blessings. He gives us a way to have heaven as our home. But you know, to every side, there is the opposite side as well. There's the other side, I should say. There is what God is, what God is willing to do for us and what man is willing to do for God. You know, in order for the dry bones to come back, as again, we're talking about later, we're talking about the, the people of Israel, what they want to, what, what do they have to have and desire to come back to God? You know, those who need to be restored have to first have the desire to be restored. Those who do not want to be restored, they won't, then they won't be restored. Those who need to have heaven as their home but are not willing to do what's necessary to, to obtain that, will they have heaven as their home? No. Because we have to do 
things as well. God does so much for us, but friends, we must do our part as well. But as we see in verse 3, the final question is simply, can these bones live? Well, yes, they can live. That's the easy question to answer. Yes, they can. If God desires for them to live, and if the people are willing. Let's continue looking here next in verse 4 and Paul. We found a prophecy to these dry bones. And it's very interesting to me that as this restoration, I call it, begins, begins you'll find in verse 4, the first thing it begins with is with the Word of God. Because every restoration, every problem, solution, every solution to any problem begins with God's Word. It doesn't begin with what I think, what I feel, what you believe. It begins with what God's Word says. Because if God's Word does not have that afforded in our lives, we forget about any problem ever being solved. Let's look at verse 4. The message. In verse 4 of Ezekiel 37, again, he said, He prophesied to these bones, said that they will dry bones, hear what? The word of the Lord. That was where the changing factor begins. The word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. We think about that in verse 4 and 5. What's going to happen? They're going to live. Why? Because it is His word. God has said it. It's going to happen. God has never allowed a single promise to fall flat. Mankind many times has failed to fulfill their end of what God requires of them so they don't get to enjoy the blessings of what God has promised to them. It's not that God hasn't kept their, His promises that mankind hasn't kept His word. Remember what happened when Moses hit a certain rock instead of speaking to it? Realize at that point it wasn't God He wasn't keeping His word and told Moses you cannot go in. It was Moses who didn't keep His word of being disobedient. He was told to speak, and he decided to hit the rock and said, You don't get to go in. We think about verse 4 and 5. The word of the Lord is that changing power. His word begins. He says, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. What is the word of the Lord, word of the Lord here? Verse 5 begins with surely, doesn't it? Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin. And put breath in you, and you shall live, that you shall know that I am the Lord. You think about this idea as you look here in verses 5 and 6. That tells them what he's going to do. He's going to bring them back to life. It's like a decaying person picture in reverse, isn't it? They're coming back to life. He says, I will put sinews on you, bring, bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live. The idea of just reversing the process. Bring them back to where they ought to be. Where God wants them to be. He says there in verse 6. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Why? Because God said he, was, he would do these things. God will do these things. And so when these things take place. They can know that God is the Lord. He is a keeper of his word. We think about this as we'll talk about it later. How this is a reference to God's people. We have to realize that in order for God's people to be restored, they had to have again that heart, that desire to be restored. The ideas and the phrases such as I believe, I think, or I like my way, those crowds are not rebellious, or to me, those crowds are all rebellious, but not penitent. Those who are not penitent, those who are not humble enough to make their 
lives right so they can be restored will never find restoration. Look at verse 7 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So what's happening, this is a fulfillment of God's word. Now this is a, again a vision here by Ezekiel, or to Ezekiel that he has seen. But this is going to come to fruition as we'll get a little bit later on about verse 11. But what's happening, exactly God said what happened. The bones come together, the sinews come up, the skin comes up, the breath is not yet in them. But look at verse 9. Also he said, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, winds, <clears throat> O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into, came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, and exceedingly great army. Verse 11 tells us, and following this, a reference to the people of Israel. Were they literally dead? No. But he's going to talk about they felt like they had no hope that they were cut off, and so they were spiritually dead. They were doing nothing. They were in this state of great despair. But we find here in verse 9 and 10, it's interesting how this breath, this, this source of life comes from where these four winds come from God, right? You notice here in verse, verse 9 and 10, this is, you know, Ezekiel is commanded to do what? To speak on the word that God gave him to speak. And that's what he did. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. I said exactly what God told me to say, which excludes anything less and excludes anything more. He didn't say, no, old breath, come and take it. No, he didn't say that. He said, was that what God told him to say there in verse 9? He says in verse 10, and what happens, breath came into them. You know, when we do what God tells us to do, amazing things happen, like blessings. When we follow God His word and do what He tells us to do, we get exactly what He promises us, promises us, and that is security, assurance, blessings from Him. But when we don't, we can expect exactly the opposite. But here He is speaking exactly the words of God. God is speaking His word. What happened? The Bible tells us that breath came into them, they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now let's look more closely at this scene. Looking at verse 11. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones, he goes back to the bones, not just that, not to the army, he goes back to the bones. I mean, this is what's going to happen, but it has not yet happened, right? These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. He said, This is what could happen if they are willing, right? See, God can want to restore and save mankind all day long, but mankind doesn't want it. It doesn't happen, does it? You know, John 3, verse 16, an incredible verse. It only works if man is obedient. Acts 2, 38, incredible verse. It only works if man is obedient. The dry bones in this whole picture being coming back to life and being covered up again and breath being going back into them, that's an incredible vision. But it only works if man is willing and obedient. Look again at verse 11. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, that is the house of Israel, our bones are dry, our hope is 
lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Who did the house of Israel belong to? Israel is referred to as God's people, right? The chosen ones. Were they literally without hope? Were they literally lost? Were they literally cut off? No. They have forgotten their hope lies. They have forgotten that they should not be those who grow tired and weary in times of great despair. They were not cut off. Look with me now, verse 12 and 13. The Bible tells us, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. Look at verse 12. What is he, how is he referencing? Why do you use the term grave and bones in verse 11 and 12? Which is talking about those who are seemingly spiritually dead. The grave is where you find the dead, right? And they were spiritually dead. Because why? We saw in verse 11. They were saying that, they were, that they were, their bones were dry, their hope is lost, they themselves are cut off. Verse 12, God says what? That, he's going to, that he is going to prophesy using Ezekiel, that he's going to bring them up out of, he's going to open their graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. The plan, they're going to be restored and go into this place of Israel, right? But first, they had to come up out of the grave. They have to remember where their hope truly lies. Look at verse 13. Then you shall know when, when these things happen, when I bring you to Israel, right? Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Now they were, they were coming up dealing with captivity, and what was God going to do? Bring them to the land of Israel, bring them to this place of safety. If what? If they are willing to be obedient. Why think about why captivity is always seems to always refer to those and apply to those who are not obedient to God? Why are people sent off into captivity? Because they're disobedient. They disobey God. Why were why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Because they did not believe in God. Wanderings in captivity are commonly referred and used for reference to those who have not obeyed God. Look at verse 13. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, brought you back from your spiritual death, because that's where they were at, because their because their thoughts towards God. Oh my people, and brought you up from your graves. They will know that it is the Lord who has done this. And think about this for a second. Was there anyone else that could possibly do what God is promising to do? No. That's why God is saying I'll do it, because no one else, first of all, can do it. God is the one who restores, because no one else can. Look at verse 14. He tells them here in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you, place you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. No one else can do it but me. He says, I'll put my spirit in you. I mean, they will have what? They'll have that renewed love for God, the right spirit about him. And shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Isn't it interesting how God, when he restores people, he always says things that implies a sense of security, your own land. Not a shared land, but your own land. Verse 14, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. Think about that 
spoken it and reported it. He said he was going to do it, and he has done it. <clears throat> then they will know, right? You think about this valley of dry bones. Have you ever felt like you have dried up in many ways? That your zeal for the Lord or zeal for the church in general is just gone? The things you're once eager to be a part of or eager to do no longer exist. In the world around us, and sometimes these difficult situations have a way to kind of suck those things away, don't they? Someone kind of a pot with a hole in the bottom. Sooner or later, it's going to be empty, isn't it? The world has a way to be that hole in the bottom of our pot that causes us to have our zeal just slowly leak out. But the Lord can fix that problem he probably faced. Because a lack of zeal, a lack of love for God, allowing ourselves to become like this valley of dry bones is not a state in which God wants us to be in. It's not a state which is pleasing to Him. Let's think about some more lessons for us today. God can raise up those without hope. It is easy to look around us today, and we can say this, I think, numerous times throughout history, thinking what we have, where can we find true and lasting hope? Oh, we understand our hope is not in any form of government or any political leader, I don't care what their name is. Our hope is not lying in one of them. None of them. On either side, whatever you want to call it, none of them give us the hope that God's Word gives us. So we can forget about all that. Remember our true hope relies. Putting God first and being obedient to Him. You know, you think about Saul when going back to the book of Ecclesiastes, and the man he'd done so much and had so much in his life. What did he say in his life? Talk about a man who did whatever he wanted. He literally did whatever he wanted. The Bible tells us whatever he had, he did not keep for himself, right? It tells us that back in chapter 2. But towards the end of that book, what does he tell us? Fear God and His commandments, for this is man's all. And that's all that matters. And yet here we are today, all those years later, we're still trying to put that and cement that in our own lives. We think about the Bible verses uh, in Proverbs and Jeremiah, it reminds us that the way of man is not in himself, it's not a man who walks and directs his own steps, meaning we do not, we should not be the one who guides our lives, we should be the ones who allow God to guide our lives, right? We hear that, question is we really believe it. The writer of those things seems to believe it. The question is, do we? We can quote those verses all the time saying, I know the way of man is on himself, but do we really believe it? Because we look in the mirror and examine our own lives, and we're trying to do things our own way. We're trying to solve problems ourselves because we can't do that. When man tries to solve problems, we end up in a very bad position. And we no doubt see that being on display today all around us. God can raise up those without hope. The Christian may feel in despair and, and may feel in despair and hard and difficult to understand times. That means we may feel like we are without hope in those difficult and those hard to explain times in our lives. We may feel like we have no hope. I go back to Job. He had no idea what was going on. He lost his entire, all his children, most of his servants, most you know, all of his livestock. He didn't know anything about what God and Satan had their conversation was about. You think that was a hard and difficult to understand time? Yeah. Was he perfect throughout it? No, he wasn't. But he never abandoned God. 
which is what Satan wanted him to do. We think about men and women throughout the Bible who face difficult situations. We think about Ruth and the situation she was put in. We think about other individuals like Esther. We think about Deborah. We think about men like Daniel, Abraham, Isaac. All those difficult situations they were placed in. Some did things better at other times than others. But friends, we can learn from their examples. It would be a good example or a poor one. We can learn from it. And know from their example what we ought to be doing and what we ought to be avoiding. This should not cause us to feel as if God has left us. And again, their dry bones in the valley show they have lost hope. Right? But God is the one who brought them to life. He is the one who restores us still today. God is the one who is responsible for them coming out of that dry valley. Right? Again, that's a vision. But they were coming out of their valley of despair in the spiritual sense. Look at Psalm 69, verses 14 to 15. Here the writer says, Deliver me out of the mire, but let it not be seen. Let, not, let me not be delivered from those who hate me and out of, the, out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. He lists different things, right? His enemies in verse 14. He mentions just really the idea of general hardships in verse 15. Not allowing the deep waters. To, to overcome him, not allowing the flood water to overflow me, he says in verse 15, not allowing the pit to shut his mouth on me. That's a reference to all kinds of difficulties, isn't it? You know, oftentimes in the Psalms, we find those who reference their enemies, and sometimes their enemies are not listed at all, just simply things like, oh, the pit shut his mouth on me. What is he talking about? Don't let me give up in these difficult times. This is the way I think about it in many ways. Don't let me just be swallowed up in despair. Let me just become nothing. Well, I think about those who get swallowed up in despair or get caught up in difficult times. How do we know that the water, that they allow the water to overflow them? They allow the pit to shut its mouth upon them? The first way we know is we stop seeing them, don't we? We stop seeing them. We stop seeing them here with us. But who is the one we find here, verses 14 to 15, that can keep us from being swallowed up in the mire? Who is the one who will keep us from allowing the pit to shut itself over us? God. And Ezekiel specifically, obedience to God's word. It's his word that brings life, isn't it? The same can be said here in Psalm 69, 14 to 15. God is the one. He restores us still today. Through obedience, we rise out of the dark pit of worldliness. We rise out of the dark pit of sin. The Lord lifts those who obey out of the world. You know, those visuals there, if there was sin involved, and no doubt I'm sure that's part of it, as they said they had, they thought they had no hope to be cut off. Is that okay for them to think that? No. They need to get their mind right as well, don't they? The Lord lifts those who obey out of the world. We find here in Colossians 2, verses 12 and 13. Buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. He raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has made alive together with him, has forgiven all you, forgiven you all trespasses. What is he talking about? Their obedience, their, their sins have been forgiven, and he raised them up to what? To be with him. 
Romans tells us he raises up to walk with him in newness of life, that is, as a new creature in Christ. The Lord lifts those who obey out of the world. We also need to remember that the Lord is a restorer. He is one who restores, not one who tears down. He tears down the wicked, but not the righteous. Look with me, look, look with me there in Psalm 23. We're going to look at just two verses. Psalm 23, verses 3 and 4. Notice what he says here. He says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He doesn't talk about how, how everything is always going well, does he? Verse 4, the reference to how sometimes in life, things that seem like a valley of the shadow of death. That's pretty gruesome, isn't it? It seems like we could die at any moment. Loved ones in hospitals, homes wiped off the map, thanks to big storms, whatever it may be. But look what he says in verse 4. I will fear no evil, for you are what? With me. That was the problem with Israel in Ezekiel 37. They thought their hope was gone. They know the Lord was still with them. He is the same one who's telling them. I can bring you back to life. I can open your graves and bring you back to life. He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Today we might say that God's word and our fellowship with him is what brings us comfort. By obedience to God's word, we can know that we are his. First John chapter 5 tells us that, doesn't it? By this we know we keep His commandments. We can have that assurance. We can have comfort knowing God is with us in, even in difficult times. The Valley of Dry Bones reminds us never to lose hope. As we find in Ezekiel 37 14, what's He tell them? I will bring you up. I will put my spirit in you. You shall live and I will place you in your own land. You shall know that, that, that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. Sounds like hope to me, doesn't it? You're once in this valley of dry bones. You once, as he says here, like you're in your grave. And he's going to bring them up if they will hope in him. Ask yourself a few questions as we get ready to close this morning. Do you, do you need to be raised up? Do you need to put your hope in God? Because if it's not in God, it must be somewhere else. Everyone at some point in their lives will need to be encouraged. And there's no greater source of encouragement than the Word of God itself. We were reminded of men and women in the Bible who endured horrible things, but God was with them. We know men and women of the Bible who loved the Lord with all their heart, and still things went bad, they never put their faith in someone other than God. And we also see what happens when some of them fail to put their faith in God, which reminds us, do not react in the same way as they did. You know, we think about Job, we didn't understand everything. Can we follow all of Job's example throughout the book? No. Because he makes some pretty bold statements, and we can learn from that reaction, can't we? We also can learn from men like Daniel, and the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel should have died in the lion's den. Lions don't usually sit down and do nothing, do they? Fires destroyed unless God is with you. As like the three friends of Daniel, the 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three friends, right? See, friends, you have to remember the Lord and our fellowship with Him, our loyalty to Him, that changes everything. So let's be those who never are those who can say that we feel like a valley of dry bones. And so we shake the dust off. We put God first. We open up our Bibles. We have clothes and we get back where we ought to be. Because, friends, the last thing the world needs when they look at the church and see a valley of dry bones. They need to see, as it was pictured there with Israel, an army of believers. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.